It is Palm Sunday, my friends, and I know that you are all very excited about the triumphal entry that the Queen of Dragons has returned. And if you know New Abbey, you know that I love spoiler alerts. And that if you do not keep up over the next seven weeks, I will keep up for you. Just so you know. Spoiler alert, Jesus rises from the dead and Dumbledore dies, book six. And one of Khaleesi's... She's got told to shut up in church. Palm Sunday. Welcome to New Abbey. One of the things that we love to do at New Abbey is to reclaim things. Even our name is this idea of reclaiming something. That an abbey is simply an ancient community of faith that participates in life together. That we believe in Christian tradition, we believe in Christian scriptures, we believe in thousands of years of history of people of faith who have got all of us to this point. And we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater but we do want to say it in a fresh way. We live in Los Angeles in 2019. We know about things like Neanderthals and that there were dinosaurs. And you know, maybe the zoo boat is a story that's helpful and you know, whatever. Uh, that's, we want to take the Bible seriously, not literally, to work. And one of the things that we need to do with every aspect of our faith is to reclaim it in a way that actually makes sense. And so much of our faith, the context of it has been given to us as Western Christians living in the United States through the lens of power. So it's fascinating that on Palm Sunday, the thing that we love to highlight is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. When the reality of this Sunday is that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, weeping, telling the people, I know you bring out palm branches, but be sad for what is coming. And part of the reason for that is that Jesus invites us into this path as well, of that it's not just Jesus who goes to a cross, it's an invitation for each of us to journey on our own path of suffering, that crucifixion is a reality of what it means to be human. And you cannot experience resurrection if you do not hold the pain of your own crucifixion. You experience new life and renewal and reconciliation and all of these powerful words and realities when you take in that pain and suffering, not when you avoid it, not when you magically believe that Jesus took it all away magically for you because how many of you have prayed that prayer, raised your hand, and it didn't all get fixed in that moment? Yeah. And so what we do on Palm Sunday is reclaim that reality that there was longing we all have longing for beautiful things. The story of Palm Sunday is people waving out palm branches, longing for something better, longing for something new, longing for renewal, for resurrection, for new life to be born into the world. And that it was paired with birth pangs and suffering and hurt. And so what we do on Palm Sunday is we share the stories of our community. We share the stories of the body of people in this place believing that the least interesting thing someone's ever told me about a church is, who's the pastor? How big is the thing? Tell me what the music is like. You told me nothing about a church. You told me about a few individuals who have the luxury of standing in the leisure so, my friends. What I care about is, is your life being healed? Are you being transformed? Are you being matured? Do you have fruit? Is there love and kindness and justice that's a part of the DNA of this body of people? And we learn about that by sharing one of our stories and or sharing our stories with one another. So with that, let's read from Luke chapter 19. It goes like this. After saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem. And when he got near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you. And as soon as you enter, you will find a colt tethered. One that has been ridden, has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says anything, if anyone says anything, asks, what are you doing? Say, hi. I really got to work on reading, people. Thank you. 
e English is my first language, so it's good. Yeah, put it in the Greek. That's easier for me. His master needs him. The two left and found it just as he said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said, what are you doing untying the colt? They said, his master needs him. They brought the colt to Jesus. Then, throwing their coats on its back, they helped Jesus get on. As he rode, the people gave him a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. They were longing for something new. Right at the crest where Mount Olives begins its descent, this is the Bible like bringing you into the story. It was all about ascent, right? And then the real story is it's the path of descent. The whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes, the king in God's name, all's well in heaven, glory in the high places. Some Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, get your disciples under control. But he said, if they kept quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. And when the city came into view, he wept over it. That so much of the story of Easter and good news is Friday and Sunday. It's not just a story of our longings and our blessings and all of the goodness. It's a story of our suffering and the waiting and the in-between and the mundane. And we're just not there yet. I really lost where I was. If you had only recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now it's too late. In the days ahead, your enemies are going to bring up their heavy artillery and surround you, pressing in from every side. They'll smash you and your babies on the pavement. It's hopeful. Not one stone will be left intact. All this because you didn't recognize and welcome God's personal visit. The story of Easter is twofold. It's the juxtaposition of Friday and Sunday. We do better to honor Palm Sunday, not by just singing palm branches and having children walk in in pastels, but by telling the full story. Because this isn't about a story that happened 2,000 years ago. This is about your journey of being human. This is about you gaining and gleaning from the reality of this narrative, because it's your narrative. And that as much as we long and as we hope, we also have to sit in what we suffer with. And with that, I want to introduce our first uh, person today, Jack Bates. Jack is a beautiful human being. Um, his drag name is? Rehabilitate them. Rehabilitate them. Yeah, him, right? Yeah. Um, which will be way funnier when he tells you a story. Jack Bates, everybody. Yeah. Um, just a disclaimer, if my leg or arms start shaking, it's not nerves, it's brain damage, which I guess is nerves. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, I'm Jack Bates. My gender identity is always just to play as a princess in Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, and as I was growing up, I have two older brothers. They and my father had ways of like, socializing me into like a sort of gender binary that made no sense to me. Um, and so they kind of made it clear that there were, there were aspects of who I am that were unacceptable, that I was unacceptable. And I learned from a pretty young age to like split my soul off and hide those unacceptable parts, those parts that made me vulnerable. Um, like Voldemort did, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, so when I hit puberty and I started having strange new feelings for women and strange new feelings for men, I knew that one of these was a piece that made me unacceptable and that I had to cut out and hide. Um, and for the most part, I was able to do so and spent the next little bit of my life um, in my adult years as a white male, straight passing, if you can believe it, just having like all the sort of cultural privileges that I could possibly have uh, until 2011 when I had what I think medically they call a huge ass stroke. And like <laughs> my whole, <laughs> My whole right side was paralyzed, and I had no sensation um, on my right side. 
Uh, I've, rec I've recovered a bit of it since then. I used to do this thing where I would touch both sides of my face because it felt really weird, like it felt so different. Um, now it doesn't work because I'm wearing like two inches of foundation and I don't feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I went from having all these cultural privileges to instantly becoming part of a minority class. I was suddenly a person with disability and the way that I interacted with the world changed drastically. Um, and I believe that God used this new manner of being in the world to open my eyes to the experiences of marginalized and minority people that I don't think would have been possible for me otherwise. And he gave me, he helped me to want to suffer with their sufferings. First, he opened my eyes to the experiences of women in my theologically conservative context who weren't represented and their voices weren't respected. Then for the plight of ethnic minorities in my like super whitewashed context. And finally, he started to give me a heart for the LGBTQ community um, and how they're kicked out of jobs, churches, homes, they're murdered or pushed to suicide. Uh, and I realized that I couldn't advocate for this community as long as I continued to profit from the distance that I pretended was between us. So I started to tell my story as part of the story of the LGBTQ community because it was all along. And I wanted to, to integrate those parts of myself to, I don't know if you can un-horcrux a horcrux, but that, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> Um, like the, the sufferings of the LGBTQ community, I wanted to be my sufferings. Their restoration and my restoration are all bound up with each other. It's like the author of the Hebrew says, apart from them, I'll not be made perfect. Um, and as I started telling my story this way, um, people didn't always react the way that you'd want them to react. Um, and I lost, I lost friends, I lost family, but I had, I had become more integrated in a really profound way. I was able to love the people I loved with more of my heart than I ever had been before, because I looked at my queerness and I said, you know, this doesn't make me unacceptable. God put this here. God loves it because it reflects something of who God is. Um, and I came, I came to the point where uh, this sort of confidence, this newfound love for myself and this newfound ability to love other people with more of my whole heart I realized that like, if God had come to me, if God came to me today and said, I could take away the stroke, it'll be as if it never happened, but also you'll lose everything that you gained from it. I would say, thanks, but no thanks. Like the suffering and what, what I like to talk about, like the redemptive possibilities of it, all those together have been worth it for me. Um, but, Lately, that story has been less useful. Uh, this past year, uh, mostly as aftermath of coming out, I've been kicked out of two churches, like without even really trying that hard. Uh, <laughs> we all have our strengths. Um, I, I had been married for almost 10 years, and my wife left me with almost no notice. Uh, when I told her I liked surprises, I probably should have been more specific. Um, and <laughs> too soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I lost basically all my friends, got kicked out of my uh, PhD program as well. Like everything in this life that I had loved, that I had hoped for, I lost. And as I was preparing for this talk, I was planning to just leave it as like a cliffhanger because I honestly knew, I honestly had no idea how I could get to, how I could get from the pain that I've experienced this past year 
to a feeling like, how could I ever feel like it was worth it? But as I started preparing this talk and thinking through my story and what the different pieces mean, I came to a greater understanding of what's been going on this last year. Um, and that's happened for me a number of times that I've come to like a greater understanding of my own pain and suffering as I prepared to give it away for others' healing. And I realized that the, the people and the institutions that told me that I was unworthy, that I was unlovable, that I was not capable of giving love, all those people are leaving me behind. And in their absence, I'm coming to believe that I can love and be loved in a way that I don't think would be possible if they were still present in my life. Um, and I don't think that I would believe it to the extent that I have now if I hadn't become part of this community. I believe that my restoration is bound up with your guys. Um, and like, if you try and kick me out, just see what happens. <laughs> I will tell you right now, it's not gonna take. I'll go full Jennifer Hudson dream girls on you. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not going. Why are you looking at me? I'm not kicking you out. <laughs> Why am I looking at the straight white man being kicked out of church? I don't know. Could be looking at anybody. Um, so I just wanted to thank you guys for being the community that you are uh, and for loving me well. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Good. We almost kissed right there. That was close. Yeah. <laughs> it was close. Yeah. I was feeling it out. <laughs> I truly love the irreverence of our community. And I'm a big believer that sometimes in the most irreverence is I think we find a new level of reverence. Uh, that the whole thing is sacred. That the whole thing is beautiful. That the whole thing is tragedy. And that the whole thing is comedy and that we get to live in all of it at the same time. So, Jax, thanks so much for sharing that. Up next, we have Joy, who literally is a reflection. I cannot speak any English today. <laughs> How now, brown cow, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> and with that, Joy? <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it okay that this is sitting here? Yeah, like it's yeah, like do whatever you want. Do some weird thing, okay. Oh, that's, oh. Um, so I have notes because I love to talk and I'll just talk forever if I don't have some sort of structure. Um, so my name is Joy and I was going to give some sort of talk on like my name and like joy and suffering and like how that works together. My dad's a pastor and so I just feel like it's like in there, but I was like, no, it's too loaded. I can't go there. Um, <laughs> so instead, um, yeah, I guess I'll just start. Um, so I'm the youngest of four um, and I have a twin sister. Um, who I'm actually four minutes older, so I guess I'm not technically the youngest in the family, but I, we are the youngest. Um, and like I said, my dad's a pastor, and I was raised what I just thought of as Christian, um, but I now know to be a fundamentalist slash evangelical slash conservative and a little bit of legalism, I guess. Um, and uh, the church I grew up was uh, Southern Baptist. So that's kind of my background and where I'm coming from. Um, and so for me, um, growing up in the church, it was really synonymous with this idea of home and family. Um, we literally lived right next to the church. We lived in like the parsonage, which is like this house that, yeah, you know. <laughs> and um, so my sisters and I would like uh, go into the church and like army crawl underneath the pews. We'd like break into the baptistry and like hang out. Um, <laughs> there was like a bell tower and like after school, I'd like run up the stairs and like ring the bell and get in trouble for it. Um, being a pastor's kid, it's like when you're little, it's like the best thing in the world. Like everyone just sort of greets you with open arms. They know your name. And I think it's just like, it made me feel really special and it was just like this place of belonging. Um, but um, in 2002, um, my family was uprooted to Southern California um, where my dad decided to start a new church. And so 
I lost all sense of home and family and a sense of belonging. And very quickly, church became this like chore and this thing that it just kind of got ruined for me. Like, I just, it was just very painful. Um, the building was gone. We, we like met in a middle school. I didn't know any of the people. There was no children's program that I could fit into. Um, so I just kind of like got sucked into like um, the rhythm of serving. I sang on the worship team. I played the bass. I helped set up. I helped break down. Um, I volunteered with the kids. And everything was just like church, church, church. And so um, the family dynamics changed. My dad was just worked a ton um, and it was just a lot of stress like on the whole family um, and I think it's difficult when any kid moves in the middle of their upbringing you know like you lose all your friends you have to start over again but for me it like completely shattered like all sense of foundation that I had built and it was I really don't feel like I ever was able to gain that back again um, but I like continued to stay in church because it was just like my only sense of community and belonging. Um, but around the year of like 2014, I sort of, nothing like official happened. I just got to the point where it just became too painful for me to go. Um, I wasn't, I, I wasn't super aware of why I needed to stop going. I'm a nine on the Enneagram and I was just like, I feel pain. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to stop doing this thing. <laughs> and um, so I stopped going to church and um, up until then, I had like, never skipped a Sunday in my entire life. So it was like really painful just not to have a place to go on a Sunday. Um, I would wake up on Sunday mornings and just like cry all morning. Um, my boyfriend would be gone. Like all my friends would be at church. And I knew my family was in church. And I just felt um, so uh, disconnected. But I also knew that I wasn't ready to go back. Um, so. <laughs> That's kind of what my story was leading up until that point. Um, and then in 2016, shit really hit the fan, which I feel like that was a bad year for a lot of people. <laughs> um, and this country. <laughs> um, and yeah. And um, there's not really an easy way to tell this part of the story, because a lot of it isn't really my part to say. And it's so deeply personal and loaded. but. Basically, my older sister suffered a mental breakdown and stopped talking to my entire family. Um, and she was my best friend. She was the one that like pulled me into the laundry room when I was six years old and like led me through the prayer of salvation. <laughs> and um, yeah, she was my best friend as we got older. Um, I'm a photographer and she's a stylist, and we worked together and we moved to LA together to like build this life for ourselves. Um, so when she left, um, it just kind of, it tore my family apart. And um, then a few months later, my brother's wife divorced him and left. So within a few months, like, I lost two sisters. And for me, family was like the thing that was keeping everything together and how I knew who I was. So I didn't have church, I didn't have a community, and my family was like totally obliterated. And on top of that, I couldn't tell people why she left, what happened to her, because like the darkness of that story was way too heavy for anyone to hold. So there's a lot that's happened between then and now. I mean, obviously I'm here, I'm back in church. <laughs> um, today is actually my one year anniversary of being at New Abbey. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> Um, but uh, Corey said, you know, don't feel pressure to wrap it up in a pretty bow, uh, which is really hard for me because I love pretty bows and I love <laughs> wrapping things up and um, telling people like how to fix their problems and stuff. It's easier than trying to figure out how to fix my own. Um, but when all this stuff happened with my family, um, my pain and suffering started to manifest in like bodily pain. Like I got such insane chest pain that I would just like wake up and like not be able to go to work. Um, I didn't have the tools to deal with my depression and anxiety because I spent my whole life just sort of compartmentalizing it. It wasn't really safe to talk about being not okay mm -hmm. at church. Um, 
And everyone in my family was sort of rallying around a religion that I couldn't relate to. So everyone's just like, you know, God has a plan. Like, he'll bring her back and um, trust in him. And I was just like, no, she's not coming back. There's no hope. <laughs> I just, I need to find a way to get over this. Um, but at the time, um, a friend gave me this book. Um, and I wanted to read a quote. This is how I'm going to end. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a pretty bow. Um, but the book is called When Things Fall Apart. And um, it's by this uh, Tibetan Buddhist nun. <laughs> At the time, like, there was no scripture that was going to get me through um, what I was going through. I just felt really alienated from that. And this book brought me a lot of comfort in unexpected ways. Um, so uh, in this book, she says... Um, the essence of life is that it's challenging, which is not what anyone wants to hear. <laughs> um, sometimes it's sweet and sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes your body tenses and sometimes it relaxes or opens. Sometimes you have a headache and sometimes you feel 100% healthy. From a, an awakened perspective, trying to tie up all the loose ends and finally get it together is death because it involves rejecting a lot of your basic experience. There is something aggressive about that approach to life or trying to flatten out all the rough spots and imperfections into a nice, smooth ride. But to be fully alive and fully human and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest. To live life is to always be in no man's land, to experience each moment as completely new and fresh. To live is to be willing to die over and over again. So I'll let you make the connection between that and the story of Jesus. <laughs> I think I'm still working on that myself. Um, there's a lot of weeks that I come here and I don't feel anything. And there's some weeks I come here and I just cry <laughs> um, and laugh. And I think being in a space where I'm being told like it's okay to suffer and it's okay to talk about it. And there are other people that are suffering has been the most healing thing for me. I love the honesty of our community. I love the vulnerability of our community. I love that you don't have to clean it up with a pretty bow. That we're all in process. We're all on a journey. We're all figuring it out. And that's way more interesting. And so thanks for, for the honesty that you set up. Set up. I, I'm just done speaking today. <laughs> this is unbelievable. I do this for a living. things about being a pastor is you get invited uh, to dinner in people's house. It's the end of that story. Um, but <laughs> having dinner with the Travics and hearing their story uh, was just such a reminder of how grateful uh, I am to be a part of a community that has so many different kinds of stories in it. Um, and there's certainly no difference. So would you please give up for John and Amy? <clears throat> So as Britt said, I'm John. This is my wife, Amy. <laughs> um, currently, I am a <clears throat> storyboard artist, storyboard director on SpongeBob at Nickelodeon. Yeah. I have, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also have uh, two shows in development right now, one at Nickelodeon, which is my baby. I hope it gets made. And then I have one with some friends at Warner Brothers. It's got a lot going on. Uh, things are going great. And <clears throat> 12 years ago, uh, I was at my rock bottom. Uh, I was suicidal. Uh, this is kind of funny, I can laugh about it now. But I was shooting air into my veins. I was trying to go to bed with a telephone cord on my neck so I wouldn't wake up. And I was ripping cans apart and trying to cut myself because I couldn't do it with a knife. And I was addicted to heroin. Um, I was living in a motel. I had a garbage bag full of my belongings. Um, 
everybody that I knew didn't want anything to do with me. Um, and I was basically at my, the, the road's end, basically, in my mind. And um, I stole a credit card from my father, which happened to be his uh, work credit card, which was bad because he worked for a public school. And the public school decided to press charges, and you can't get out of those very easily. So I went to jail for three months. I was convicted as a felon. Um, I then got to go to rehab. This is good stuff. This sort of story gets good. <laughs> uh, so then I went to rehab for three months. Um, and instead of going back to uh, the old ways, I decided to live in a homeless shelter for three months. Uh, then I slowly upgraded and got to live in, a, in my boss's garage. And that's when I met Amy. I was nine months clean and sober. Had a bicycle. Had <laughs> <And> a bike. <laughs> Couldn't cross state lines. And we met on a blind date, a bike, I might add, which was um, everything you want is to be set up with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a catch, you know. <laughs> Convicted felon living in a garage. I was missing a tooth over here. It was, it was awesome. It's very sexy. Yeah. Anyway, I got my tooth fixed, and uh, <laughs> we decided to date. Uh, we got married. Had a kid. Had a kid. Bought we, a house. Had uh, all the stuff. Had a fence. We were going to get a dog. We had a brand new Jeep. Uh, life was going awesome. And where we come from, <clears throat> like in Michigan, that seems to be like the standard, the model. Basically, you either get a job in the auto industry or you get a trade job. And that's like success. And we had it. Yeah, we were, we were jamming. And then we had this little baby, and he said to me, how am I going to raise him and tell him to follow his dreams if I don't follow mine? So then we sold the house, and we moved in with my parents and my brother and my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah. And then I went to art school, and Obama took care of us with unemployment and insurance. And after three months, three semesters, three semesters I, yeah. <laughs> after three semesters of school, um, I was offered a job in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I dropped out of school. Me and Amy and Johnny rooted up and we headed to Georgia. I think we thought it was going to be the thing, the thing that we were searching for, because the life that we had didn't fit. And then we got to Georgia, and it turns out that didn't fit either. And it was, it was bad. No offense, Georgia. No, Georgia. Yeah. It was just, it was different for us. Uh, I mean, really, the the bad thing was is we were 11 hours from home, new city, new culture. We were struggling financially. We were making $25 an hour, and it was horrible. We were broke. We were going in debt. We were fighting. She was going to Michigan more than she was staying at home with me. And I thought she was going to stay. <laughs> In Michigan. In Michigan, yeah. <laughs> so we knew something had to change. Um, so I started applying like crazy to jobs. And I mean, all over the United States, I'm talking like 100 to 150 every day at work. I was like, Nobody's looking, Indeed, Monster.com, whatever, just trying to get the hell out of Atlanta to try to fix this. And nobody wanted him. <laughs> yeah. Nobody responded. And then we found a job opening at Nickelodeon, and uh, he personally, I would harass is close to the right word, um, the creator on the internet over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> for a, uh, I was always taught to be persistent, right? And so yeah. this, this show creator came out with this show called Pigo Banana Cricket, and it was like right up my alley, and I drew like that. And I was like, man, me, my, me and my style, I need to work on your show. And I messaged him like 50 times about it. And it worked. I, he didn't. <laughs> he did not file, did not file order. a restraining order. And, and he gave up a job. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. But before that, uh, this, uh, we found out, like, right when we were at our breaking point, um, we came home from dinner, I think, and there was this massive storm. 
And we walked into our son's room to put him to bed, and with each tile that we walked on, there was water just squishing through the grout. And we were like, crap, we gotta move his bed and get all this stuff out of there. And we moved the bed away. There was black mold just covering the wall. And so- That broke our lease. It broke our lease. So <laughs> it was like, all these things started happening and it seemed like this was, the, this was it. Like this saved us, this was our dream. So we hopped in the car. I, I basically called my, my director and was like, yeah, I'm not coming to work on Monday or ever. And so we left, we, we got the job Friday, we left on Monday, and we darted to LA as fast as we could. And we got here, we had never been here before either, um, and then we got a phone call shortly after that saying that his orientation couldn't happen the following week because his background check wouldn't clear. Oh. Ellen, you know, oops. <laughs> um, so that was kind of crazy. That yeah. was, we had all of our stuff in storage and then we shipped it from Atlanta. So we had car, I mean, everything. Our life was coming to LA and then we're in a hotel room like, so close. <laughs> we made it, Nickelodeon wants me to work for him, but I might not be able to. So obviously I already told you that I work there still, right? So you know the story, but. Um, so anyway, the background check cleared. They were okay with it all. And yeah, here we are. Uh, five years has passed since then. Um, things have been crazy. They've been sideways. They've been upside down. But I don't know. I feel it's just, it's better. I think we found our place. What we had just didn't work. And so we tried to figure out what did. And here we are. So, wait, oh. <laughs> there's a button. I just want to say that if anybody's out there trying to do something and think, I don't know, that you're messed up, you're not good enough, uh, you can't. I really wanted to like rip off my shirt and have a Nike Just Do It shirt on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but literally, like, I had so much against me and things are good. They're not great, but they're a lot better. And maybe that's what Jesus was talking about with renewal. Like, so thank you. Um, I'm going to bring up uh, Gaddison and Allie. If you all would give them a warm welcome. So I had met them. Um, I met you first. You're coming to Abby. Oh, I gotta bring someone with me next time. So then I saw you all, the kids, and I made an assumption about the narrative, uh -huh. right? And then I was at a Be Free event, um, just like last month, and got to hear more of your story. And I was like, well, damn. So, uh, <laughs> 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 I, was in an <laughs> I love it. Okay, so uh, we have a few notes just so that we stay on target uh, because I like to talk a lot. Um, so, basically, I'm Gaddison, and this is Allie. Um, Allie is my best friend. Um, she also is the mother of my two beautifully gorgeous children. And, um, and we are like the best team ever. Like, seriously, like it's a real thing. We're the best team ever, and um, I deeply, I deeply love this woman. Uh, so, this is my best friend, Gaddison. Well, thanks. <laughs> and um, he is truly a committed man. Mm. And uh, he oh, has um, been the rock in our family. And he has a true gift of seeing potential and seeing gold in someone and being able to pull it out. Okay, I can tell you already, this is gonna get really emotional. Okay, so bear with us. Um, so a lot of people see us, and at first glance, um, they assume, uh, rightfully, that you know, we are married. But what people don't know is that we were married for just shy of nine years, but then we decided to end our marriage because we decided that it was not possible to pray my gay away. 
And um, so we grew up in a traditional Christian um, household and, and, and practice. And, uh, you know, I was raised in the good old Church of God in Christ. And uh, if you don't know what the Church of God in Christ is, if you know what the AG is, the AG, Church of God in Christ is just basically a black version of the AG. So, um, and uh, so evangelical expression, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, we just, we were taught that you can pray the gay away and you can, with enough discipline and, and enough prayer time and enough, all of those things, you could pray it away. So um, we had met in 2005 mm -hmm. and became really good friends. At that time, we weren't dating yet or anything. And he told me like, hey, um, this is my struggle. I'm attracted to men. Um, I'm going to need a really strong wife. And um, so I was like, hey, how about me? <laughs> uh, I had, as we were friends, I always looked up to him and he, his friendship meant a lot, and we, you know, had an amazing bond. And so, um, 2008, we got married, and you know, we legitimately thought that we could pray it away, and that he could be healed from it, and that it was something to be healed from. Which mm. is, the whole, yeah. It's just disgusting to even say no, but um, yeah, we legitimately believed he could be healed from it, and we were committed to doing that together. Yeah, and so we went on this journey of um, you know, me going to different counseling sessions, me going to inner healing ministries, me going to you know, the men's purity groups, right? Where I needed to be, um, and there were two types of purity groups, right? There were the ones where all the gays would congregate and like, you know, you guys are gay and you need to be pure, so like, let's teach you. And then there was the other ones that was like, okay, hey, you know, we actually want you to be around straight men and you need to experience the love of a straight man. And then that, that's what will kind of free you. Um, I've been through, um, you know, mild reparative therapy. Um, we went through everything. We, we left no stone unturned to try to find this healing and try to find, um, you know, this thing that was gonna make, make it work. And so this whole time, um, what you have to understand about me is that uh, it, by nature, I'm a very positive person. Um, and so even when things aren't necessarily ideal for me, uh, I'm, a, I'm a number three, so I can kind of compartmentalize and put things you know, to the side and just keep it positive, keep it, keep it happy. And, um, and I did that. We did that for years. And, um, and then to make matters a little bit more complicated, you know, we started having kids. And what you also have to understand is that Allie and I love kids. And we had talked about our children before we were even married. Seven Named Named all seven. seven. All seven of them. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we wanted our own church and we wanted to birth the church. <laughs> so that's, that's what we were gonna do. Um, and it was just, it literally was a thing. And, and, and we love our two. <laughs> Glad we didn't have seven. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that's where we were. And so anyway, fast forward. Uh, about eight and a half years later, we, uh, I have this prayer time. God, where am I on time? Okay, so I have this prayer time. And uh, I'm doing my normal thing and I'm kind of like, you know, good Christian guy, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt my heart almost like jump out of my chest and say, is it okay to be gay? And I was just like, no, wait, whoa, back it up. No, it's not. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> like the whole thing, right? You know what I'm saying? And like, it was serious. Like, I was like, oh my God, like there's no, no. So anyway, um, and then I heard the voice, what I believe to be the voice of God say, um, I'm not afraid of your questions. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm totally loyal. I'm totally committed. I'm totally. And I heard him say again, I'm not afraid of your questions. And uh, there's this thing that we say, or that we, we this um, quote that's in our, in our space, so we say, um, 
If your truth is so weak that it can't withstand a question, maybe it's not a truth you should build your life around. And so, um, thank you for that snap. <laughs> um, and so, um, and in that moment, I've, I've, I felt like God kept speaking to me and he and he's, was saying to me that truth is always gonna be truth. And um, if I just would stay close to him, that he would lead me in all truth. And so I'm like, oh shit. Allie's in the other room, I have a baby sleeping in the other room. You know, you gotta understand, it's like, it's not just me coming out, hey, I'm gay, yeah. This is like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I have a family. I have a woman that I deeply love. Like, it's not, it's, it's not I think what people don't understand is like, I love this woman, you know what I mean? Like, like I deeply love her, and so, the thought of um, hurting her in that way, you know, like it was, it was a lot. So I was like, oh God, I just knew I had to, I just had to be, I had to be honest. And one thing that we tried to do in our marriage is always be, I'm sorry. We tried to always be honest with each other, even if it hurt. And so, I was like, thanks God, that's awesome. Um, and I went in the other room and I said, Allie, this is what I felt like God said. How do we walk through this together? And she was like, okay, let's figure it out. Let's walk through it together. And so we started this journey of research and all that good stuff. And long story short, um, I'm leading this to February 21st. <laughs> is that, okay, so February 21st, 2017, it's a big day for us. We had a, um, we had gone, done a lot of research, blah, 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 and we went to this psychologist uh, to help us sort through uh, what was going on, and we were just trying to figure out a way, even that we could maybe stay together. Like, is that the right thing to do to stay together for our children, for our family? How do we figure this out? And so we went to this psychologist, beautiful, uh, uh, helped us, and we had this one session where she basically was like, hey, listen, here's an idea. You know, this is kind of what's helped with some of my other uh, uh, clients is maybe it would be good for you to come out on Facebook, right? Just say, hey, I'm gay. You're able to kind of like maybe even go to some gay events, uh, make gay friendships, all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's enough for you to just acknowledge who you are. But then you can still have this companionship. So... Me and Allie, I remember the scene. Me and Allie are sitting on the bed. We're, you know, because we're doing this over the phone. Sitting on the bed, and she's kind of like getting this hope. Like, okay, well, maybe this is something we could try, you know? And I remember the whole time there's just this pit in my stomach. Because I just, I'm, I, I didn't think that it was going to be right for me. But I didn't know how to communicate that. And I didn't know why I felt that way. So we get off the phone. And Allie sitting on the bed. And I remember she's like, she's like, okay, like, you know, what did you think? And I just remember being like, I don't think that's gonna work. And she's like, why, you know, what, do you, what, are, you, what are you feeling? I was like, Allie, this is not just about sex with a man. This is about me wanting to love a man and wanting a man to love me. And as I, as I said that, it was like something, a light bulb for me went off and obviously a light bulb for her went off and I'll let you just take it from there. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of the first time hearing him say those words about, you know, it not being about sex, it's about relationship and being loved. And I said, but that's our answer then. That's our answer is that um, you need to be with a man. And on February 21st, 2017, I liberated my best friend. And, um, you know, we have just chosen to transition our love. And it looks different, um, but it's still beautiful, if not more beautiful than what it was. Yeah. And I can't, I have no words for uh, that moment. You know, so when I say that this is my best friend, I'm saying that from a completely different place. This is, um, the one person in my life 
that has been there through everything, saw me at my worst, my lowest, and my best. And she chose to liberate me and say that love was unconditional and love looked like something. And love in this moment looked like liberating me to be who I fully was. And um, we chose to do family over fear, fear of rejection. We built this whole life. You know, we were heavily involved in ministry, all that good stuff. And so we chose to figure it out. And here we are two years later in this crazy community. (laughs) It's crazy. And in the midst of all that, I mean, with him coming out as gay, you coming out as an ally, you know, we lost our friends, most of our family, and it's kind of us against the world. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say that we're a good team, that's what I mean. And so we're a non-traditional family. You'll see our little two beautiful little caramel drops just running around here. (laughs) And um, and, um, yeah, and so here we are. Yeah, we're we're passionate about sharing our story. We love our story, we're proud of it. Yeah. Um, we have a podcast dedicated to it, and this is something that I end. Called My Shade of Beautiful, just in case. You know. <laughs> it's something that I end each episode uh, saying. Our story is one of unconditional love, friendship, deep pain, utter desperation, celebration, and liberation. We all get to paint our own stories. Some have chosen to use broad strokes of bright, vivid pigment, some with soft, whimsical glows and others with dark, saturated density. But this, this is our shade of beautiful. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.